Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, you're listening to Animals Party on Pet Life Radio, which means you're listening to me, Dab Wolf. Calling in from Camp Good Dog, as you know, way over in Vancouver, with our 50 dogs boarding here for the coming weekend at Camp Good Dog on our five-acre farm. And so we get a lot of summertime issues, springtime issues, issues with pollen and dogs having itchy, scratchy problems. And so today we're going to welcome back Dr. Jory Bachnick from Toronto and his clinic there, Abbotsford. We're going to welcome him back to talk to us about these problems and some other problems. He's been practicing vet medicine for 23 years, and he's got a little bit of a specialty in dermatology, so we're going to talk about that. He's got other other special interests too and uh, hopefully we'll touch on some of those topics today because I know we left you hanging last week when we were talking about pit bulls and there was a an unmentionable problem Dr. Jory mentioned about one of his dogs eating number two that's right so we're gonna get to that today all right everybody here we go it's animal party welcome to the party the doctor is in welcome to the show Dr. Brocknick Thank you very much. Nice to speak to you nice and early in the morning. Yeah, well, it's early for me over here on the West Coast, but not so bad for you in Toronto, I guess. No, no, we're good. And it's nice and it's sunny and it's warm. So summer's finally here. Well, I noticed you sent me some pictures of some of your patients recently. And um, I've been dealing here with a dog who came in with mats all over, another boarding customer who had hot spots. So we've had a, a few issues with dermatological things. And sometimes people don't seem to know if it's serious or not serious, if it's just um, allergies, if whether they should go to the vet. And I got some pictures from you that really confused me. That dog looked in rough shape. So I know people listening, they can look at the pictures and they can see some of these poor, sick doggies and kitties and then see how they got well. So they're probably looking right now as we describe it. Can you tell me about that itchy, scratchy dog? Well, this time of year is really common to see a lot of skin problems. And, and you're right, people aren't sure when when to come in and when not. And so the real question is, when is a hot spot not just a hot spot? Like, and when I say hot spot, it's sort of a generic term to describe a very focal place where you've got uh, some redness, some irritation, the dog may start chewing at that. And one of the sort of benchmarks and things I'll have clients look at is you don't have to rush in for every little spot on your dog because you'll be in the clinic almost every day in the summer. And so I like to, to sort of advise people by saying, you know, give things 24 hours. And there are some simple things you can do at home. You know, your dog comes out of the bush after you've been running around and you've got a, a good scratch or a, an abrasion on a, on a body part. First thing to do is don't let them chew at it all night. You know, another thing to do is keep it dry and keep it clean. And some of the cleaning things that I like to use, simple things, baby wipes, huggies are my favorite. Yeah. Pick up a Huggies baby wipe. I like them because they're a little thicker than the other stuff. They don't rip mid-wipe. And depending on what end you're working on, that's kind of important. But just keep me it clean a couple times a day. Don't let your pet chew at it overnight. And a lot of these simple lesions resolve. It's when they don't resolve. And the dog's been going at it. That's when they start to look like that. Or 
when you go to some clinics and they don't do a lot of investigation. And the reality is a lot of these things do resolve with very simple treatments. The problem is some of them are nice and easy and a lot of them will involve steroids. And the reason... Well, yes, you know what? I want to ask you about that because Brooklyn there, the border collie, I guess, with the skin problem, did Brooklyn end up on steroids? Brooklyn came to us when Brooklyn was on steroids and not getting better. And part of the problem was that Brooklyn had an odd reaction to steroids. Brooklyn ultimately was found to have an underlying skin condition, which was allergic. But in Brooklyn's case, and one of the complications of steroids, even though she was on a low dose, her body didn't tolerate the steroids. And so what it starts to do is it started to store calcium in very odd places in her skin. And it's being that was driven strange by looking. bad news. It's really weird looking, like bumps all over her. Yeah. And so those bumps are little collections of calcium and they're exceptionally irritating and itchy. And oh. the only way you get rid of them is A, you have to withdraw all the steroids and B, allow her body time to reabsorb that calcium. And there are techniques you can use to do that, but they're all very time consuming. They're painful. And the issue is, would it have been easier? Would it have been better in this, in some of these cases, if at the beginning we did a little bit of investigation and sort of came up with a plan that used sort of the least offensive products in the beginning and sort of taper up to the bigger guns as you would to suppress itch? And what are the alternatives we can use? And sort of because like, a lot of sometimes we find in vet medicine, people come in saying, can you just give me something to stop the dog from yes. itching? And we can't. Yeah. But then you miss the underlying problems, and it's, it's the underlying problems that you really want to address. And a little bit of time spent in the beginning looking for what those problems are can pay off huge in the end, because this is likely going to be a lifelong issue. And well, it's yeah, okay. So the hotspot, though, when it's a hotspot, I mean, the ones I've seen, most of the time it's on a golden retriever, sometimes a Wheaton, sometimes other dogs, but most of the time. And it's usually weepy, sticky, hot. Yeah, uh, so like just and it can go from the size of a dime to the size of an orange in a couple hours, right? Easy. Like it's Easy. aggressive. So yeah. if somebody gets that, they got to go to the vet, right? You got to go because now you've gone from something that was irritating to something that's nasty and infected, and that smelly oozy stuff is the infection getting into the skin, deeper into almost the hair follicles. But again, before you dive into the treatment, the question is, why did the dog get that hotspot in the first place? And something that's as simple when you look at it golden, like an mm -hmm. ill-fitting collar that causes the neck fold, because I'm sure that's where one of the number one places to see them. Yes, um, yes, jowls, cheek, neck, rough, yes, so always. So you've got these poor, ill-fitting, like the collar that works great in the winter, but now that your dog's swimming, you don't want a collar that's gonna be collecting around there, pinching the skin together, holding that moisture in and rubbing. And so maybe you wanna be looking at Use a, a different kind of collar when your dog swims. And then after swimming, you want to take that off. You want to make sure they're dry. I mean, another real causative agent that people don't even think of very often is the sand that collects in their fur. Mm -hmm. You don't get that sand off at the end of the day with a good rinse. Then it's just grinding away on the dog all night while they're sleeping. And then you got this huge erosion mm -hmm. from just grit that's been sitting there. So a little time in the beginning to how did this happen? Then we can deal with the immediate problem, but more importantly, we can prevent it the second, third, and fourth time. Because don't you see at your camp, these are the dogs who get them seem to be, always get them again and again. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the prednisone, which is the thing I see most most of them coming with, it, it, I, I believe it changes their behavior. I notice they become little hoovers. All they want to do is eat. Oh, 100%. Pred is an excellent drug. <laughs> 
And Pred is a great drug when you use it appropriately, but, and it's an inexpensive drug, which makes it very attractive. But the problem is it has lots of side effects. Side effect number one makes them starving. Side effect number I, two makes aggression. them thirsty. And they're peeing all the time. What well, about aggression? Because I see dogs get more aggressive when they're 100%. on prednisone. Okay, I so see, you're agreeing I see on that. aggressive mm -hmm. dogs get mellow. I see kind dogs become aggressive. Right. And it can it's fluctuate and change. So you don't want to be stuck with prednisone as your as your maintenance. That should be well, an emergency only is what you're well, saying. It's, right? a, it's a drug used specifically to stop the dogs from tearing themselves apart. And then you want to start tapering it and doing other therapies. There are natural anti-inflammatories you can use. There are topical things you can use that have no side effects. And the goal is to, unfortunately, you have to come up with an individualized plan for each animal because not everybody responds to the same treatments. I mean, the best way to look at it is if one antihistamine was truly better than all the others, there would just right. be one. But go into any drugstore and there is a row of antihistamines mm -hmm. and what works for me makes you sick and makes someone else sleepy and makes someone else excited. And there's no difference. Well, yeah. And what may, works for me in spring might not work for me in fall and that kind of thing too. I'm just, I'm thinking about the dog, the other dog that I saw a picture of that you sent me, Lance, the schnauzer. Oh, what happened Lance, to Lance? Uh, he looks so Lance. sad. He is one of the toughest little creatures. His, his mom runs a horse farm okay. and little Lance is the protector of the horse farm. And, um, he, uh, one of the things we're finding as the urban population moves into the country and we take away habitat, we displace animals. And one of those species we're displacing is coyotes. And unfortunately, they, everybody has to eat. And so it's not uncommon. And this year we've lost about eight dogs, if I'm not mistaken, to coyote attacks um, because they lose their habitat. They lose their food source. And so they go looking for others. And this little guy Tough as nails, was attacked by two of them and managed to fend them off long enough wow. until mom got home, brought him into us. I did not think he was going to survive, but uh, a few hours of surgery later, putting him back together. And he's still this tough, ornery little guy he's always been. And uh, I actually did a dental. I'm, I think he may have three teeth left, actually. Oh, poor guy. He's okay, dead. so when that happens with coyotes, I mean, I think that I think of the coyote population as just full of awful things like worms, mange, maybe even worse things. Is there a danger that a dog attacked by them or in contact with them will pick up some 100%. of these? Well, I mean, they're one of the vectors. And when I say vectors, one of the carrier species for a lot of the illnesses that our dogs face. So rabies is one is a big one. But all the parasites they can have, our, our dogs can have. So a coyote who camps out in someone's backyard one night and leaves could have left sarcoptic mange, fleas, ticks, all kinds of things. They can carry distemper. There's lots of illnesses they can carry that, that can be transmitted. And then... Wow. You know, so okay. when one of the things that people say is, well, why do we need to test for heartworm, for instance, in Ontario? Well, we test because we have a large fox population, we have a large coyote, and we're getting a larger feral dog population. And so this, you are. Yep. Where in the cities or in the country? In the country, just outside. That's why we're starting to see more and more res rescue groups kind of pop up, try to pick up the slack. But you know, it's their disposable society, and dogs that don't fit end up roaming outside in the country. That's pretty sad. You know, but we get these vector populations who carry heartworm, who carry the illnesses that we're trying to combat. They're not being treated. And so that's why we're starting to see a bit of an uptick in our heartworm population. I'm not sure about you guys, but we're seeing an enormous uptick in tick diseases. And yeah, in ticks, ticks are bad for people too, not just oh. animals. 
Yes, yeah. ticks are up. Coyotes are always been here. So that's not news for us. But wow, that's alarming. This wild dog thing. I mean, we do have some of it on and near reserves here. I don't know if that's what you're talking about, but other than that, I don't really see this as an issue out here. I hope it's not coming. I hope you know, uh, you're never really know. sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm never. I'm not even surprised. It's nothing. Not a lot surprises me anymore. You would think. Well, we're going to go to our first break and come back. And when we come back, I'm going to ask Dr. Jory how a professional like himself can own a dog who likes to eat the very oh the awful. The worst, the unmentionable, the number two. And if you've got a dog out there who does it too, you might want to listen because maybe we've got some suggestions for you. All right, stay tuned to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio with Deb Wolf and Dr. Joy. When Helen Brown ran away to New York City five years ago, she had no idea that a homeless cat with a punk rock haircut and enough catitude to light up the Empire State Building would be the one to teach her the true meaning of love and a forever home. In the tradition of her internationally best-selling memoir, Cleo, Helen Brown's Bono, The Amazing Story of a Rescue Cat Who Inspired a Community, is a heartwarming true story about a woman without an anchor a homeless cat without much hope, and finding a forever home in the city that never sleeps. Modern Cat Magazine calls Bono an uplifting tale about how everyone deserves love and a second chance. Bono by Helen Brown is on sale now everywhere. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, you're back on Animal Party, Pet Life Radio with Deb Wolf calling in from Camp Good Dog. And we've got Dr. Jory Bognick from the Abbotsford Animal Clinic, and he's calling in from Toronto. So it's a little bit of a Canadian show today, but dogs all over the world have this problem. Some of you may have a puppy who does this, in which case it's very normal. Or a mama dog. Mama dogs do this for their puppies. This is really natural. But if you have a pet that's not a puppy and not a mama dog and it's going out and eating its own feces or eating other dogs' poo-poos in the park, you definitely have an embarrassing problem. Dr. Jory, is that your problem? Yeah, I have one dog <laughs> like that too. Is that your most submissive dog? No. No, no not particularly. Oh. Actually, to be Truthfully honest, my one dog is now spread it over to the other two, so all three of them are now doing it. Oh, that's awful. I know. I have the worst dogs. Okay, what kind of dogs have you got? I have a Labrador. Yeah. I have the obligatory rescued Golden. Okay. <laughs> and I have a Dalmatian. Ah, and who started it, the poop eating? I would have to say it was the Dalmatian. Dalmatian. That's what I would say, because it's the most high-strung of the three. Oh. It'll be the Dalmatian. It's a working dog for people listening. They look like, oh, spots, Disney. But actually, they were made for guarding fire trucks and working hard, running alongside underneath the horses when the trucks were pulled by horses. This is not a couch potato dog. So why do you think your dog is going out and doing that? Because she's not- terrible. She was the worst. My uh, my Dalmatian is absolutely <laughs> the most challenging dog I have ever owned. Oh, and she corrupts man. the others. When that movie came out, 101 Dalmatians, I got so much business. I had so many Dalmatians to train. I was like, thank you, Disney. And then when they did those golden movies, nothing. 
Nothing came my way. No, no, do another movie about the Dalmatians. So they can be great dogs. They just have way more energy than your other two. And they're very, very smart. They're kind of intense. Let's see, what could we do about this? You know they have over-the-counter pet store remedies. Have you tried any of those? The, I find the, Forbid, the best product I found was something called Forbid, and it actually rel- works relatively well. Okay. I would think in most dogs, except the most highly motivated poop eaters. Right. For me, I find you can make the poop adversive mm-hmm. by, you know, you make sure the yard is clean, then you leave poop in there that's spiked with right. cayenne or extra super hot Frank's red hot sauce or something. But then you have to make sure your Labrador doesn't like that. Yes. Oh yeah, for sure. You're golden, your Labrador. They'll just, they'll just power through it, you know, wincing and everything. It's still eat it. Yeah. But okay. So, so you raised two good points. You got a poop scoop relentlessly. So you almost poop scoop before you let them out the yard and then again after. So there's just, and I would suggest accompany your dogs. It takes a while. They say it takes three months for a human to unlearn a habit. You know, something like nail biting or, you know, some kind of a finger or hand wringing, something like that. I don't know. How long do you think it would take a a dog to unlearn a habit? Some say six weeks. I'm not sure if that's long enough. But if you could leash walk your dogs instead of letting them out to poo unsupervised, if you could actually be on the end of the leash and then scoop it before they have a chance to eat it for some time, you might break the two weaker ones, the ones who were sort of influenced. You might break them of the habit pretty quick. I don't know how long it'll take that Dalmatian to break the habit, though. What do you think? I'm not sure. I even go. I even like to use cage muzzles if they're going to be out where they're going to be a bit oh, further no. beyond your reach. But the Labrador has become so motivated, he actually will mash his face with oh, the muzzle into disgusting. the poop. Yeah, then you got to clean that mess. <laughs> okay, you know what? If I was there in Toronto with you right now, I would probably be suggesting we go to a park with the three of them and start working on this. And I would be coming up with a replacement behavior. So I'd put two in the car and work on one at a time, but I'd start probably with the Dalmatian. And I'd be trying to teach him that every time he sees poop, that's a signal for him that I'm going to do something fantastic, like pull out his favorite toy or run 10 yards and let him do his favorite game of, you know, matching me and cutting me off or whatever it is that you guys are into for play. Mm-hmm. I would make him or a new game that's just so, wow, I saw poop. I get the squirrel pelt. I saw poop. I get the bouncy ball. I saw poop. Mom's going to play fetch with me. Whatever it is that, that makes them so, so happy. I'd be trying to condition them that you see the poop, the game begins. And so instead of having to do that, I've got two boys whose job it is to get them out in the morning. I am going to do the you got to be standing out there with them and we're going to add a replacement behavior. I think that's an excellent idea. Oh, good. Okay, because that's, you know, if your dog's jumping up on people, instead of just yelling at it, no, no, no. And it's got this idea. Yes, yes, yes. You give it something else to do. Sit. And now it learns, okay, I can sit and get attention. Well, this is easier than jumping up. I'll just do this, you know, but you have to sort of make it happen or the dog's bad habit is just so entrenched. So every time this Dal sees the poop, he's going to think, wow, it's game, game time, game time, you know, like he does, run around, run around, run around, tail straight there. And then <laughs> that's, that's much better, right? I think that's excellent. I'm going to give that a shot tonight. Oh, I hope that works for you. Okay, well, we'll have to check in with you in the future sometime. You'll have to come back on my show so I can find out how your doggies are doing with that. It's a shame to have to put muzzles on them because the the rest of the world is going to think they're aggressive, you know? I I use those muzzles, though. I do a lot of behavior mod as well, and I find the cage muzzles actually do a few things for me when I'm training, especially some dominant dogs. It creates, I find it creates space. So 
So owners who are anxious with dogs who are challenging to walk and are a bit afraid of bumping into people, especially, you know, if they've got the an aggressive golden. People don't necessarily consider goldens an aggressive breed, but they're up there near the top 10 of those dogs who bite. That cage muzzle all of a sudden will give people pause. So instead of wanting to rush up and, oh, let me pet your dog, they'll give you a berth and create space. So now the owners can be a bit more relaxed. I find they also tone the dog's dominance down a little bit. And so oh, it's completely. It's like taking tool. a gun and taking the bullets out. It's like putting it in the holster. I think it's great for training. I just didn't like it because your dogs aren't aggressive. So it gives this impression to the world that here's these three tough dogs at the park and they're not, you know, yeah, well, but, uh, but I love dog, what you're saying. About she's a bit, uh, she's a bit she of a is. nipper. I, I, I gotta be honest. She's exceptionally well trained. Oh, so no. I can keep her. Yeah. She's like every other doll. They're, they are guard dogs through and through. They're, they're ADHD guard dogs. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So the way we manage her particularly is she's just so well-trained that she is biased. She'll sit. She stays. Regardless of what's going on around, she's just looking for her next command. After oh, she gets, perfect. Okay. After she gets to meet other dogs, then she's pretty good to go. But um, Dows are one of those breeds that seem to love their family, and pretty much that's about it. Yeah. Well, and, and fun times, like a good time is always. Well, they live for, for jet fuel burning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Like a, a road hockey game. Wow. That's, that's bliss for them. Okay. So one thing we mentioned, I, I want to go to another break and then come back and, and you just touched on the breed issue, which we did have, uh, we had an email come in about that. As someone was listening to a show I did with Dr. Stan Corin, where we talked about the different breeds and pit bulls and breed bands and all that stuff that you and I talked about last week. And they had a question about that. So we're going to come to that after the break. But before we go to break, I just wanted to kind of looking over the notes of the show and thinking about what we've said so far. And I thought maybe we should caution people because we did say some negative things about prednisone. But if your dog is on prednisone right now, you can't just stop. Right, Dr. Jory? So could we maybe just go over that? Sure. I mean, as I said, prednisone has its absolute uses and I use it frequently. But one of the things it does is the body requires cortisol, which is a naturally produced prednisone, if you would, in their bodies. And it's made by the adrenal glands. Well, when you start taking prednisone orally, it turns off the adrenal glands because the body goes, oh, I've got lots of prednisone now. I don't need to manufacture it. If you stop it quickly, the body is not capable of picking up the slack very quickly. It has to take time to wake up its adrenal glands to start producing the natural cortisol again. If you stop suddenly, that could be fatal. So yeah, it's never supposed to be stopped suddenly. It's always supposed to be tapered, which means to reduce it slowly over time. And slowly over time doesn't mean three days. Generally, it's over seven to 14. So really, if you or your pets are on prednisone and you've decided you don't want to be on it anymore, you should talk to your doctor or your vet about how oh, to get off yeah. it. Because if Absolutely. you've been this on it for years, it's going to take... It's not something the owner should decide to do without a detailed conversation with your veterinarian. When I've had dogs here who've been on it for a while and they're reducing the dose or getting off it, it's pretty complicated. I have to get the calendar out and I have to like mark it on. It's not like, oh, two pills today, one pill tomorrow and you're done. No, it no. takes a while. So um, just be cautious about that, everybody. We're going to go to another break and then come back. And then I'm going to ask you... What do you mean the golden retriever is a biter? And I'm going to talk to you about that email we got. The guy was saying, I'll just let you know what he was saying. He's saying, 
you know, he was responding to the fact that Dr. Korn was saying, you know, all dogs, wolves, foxes, they're all from the same canine. They're all canine. And they did this this research into the genetics of breeds and found some surprising discoveries like, well, like German shepherds aren't guard dogs, they're herders and just different things that were sort of surprising to people. But every once in a while you hear in the news, a Pomeranian attacked a kid or like you just said, a golden bites. And that kind of throws everything on it, on it, you know, makes people very confused because we think those are the sweet little dogs and the soft mushy dogs and and what are pit bulls the bad ones? And so there's all this this confusion about which breeds are, are difficult or bad or challenging and which are safe. And is there any truth to that if they're really all wolf? And so that's the question coming in that we'll address after the break if you're up for it, Dr. Dory. I'm up for it. Okay, everybody, stay tuned. We'll be back at Animal Party, Pet Life Radio in just a moment. Tired of wasting money on giant bags, boxes, and jugs of litter that don't last? Switch to World's Best Cat Litter, the only litter that lets you use less and get more. World's Best Cat Litter uses the concentrated power of corn to deliver outstanding odor control and easy cleanup. It's lightweight, 99% dust-free, and pet, people, and planet-friendly. It's even flushable. Make the switch to World's Best Cat Litter and save $2. Visit www.saveonworldsbest.com. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Pick up two tubes of Dogosuds. Get the third tube free. Peppermint, tea tree, lavender, Dogosud shampoo. Made with all-natural coconut, jojoba, aloe. Great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. But no itchy, harsh chemicals. Lather up, rinse away. Try Dogosuds. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Hello. You're listening to Animal Party, Pet Life Radio. And Dr. Jory Bachnick from Toronto is here to talk to us today. And he's helping us understand a whole lot of things, including the breed the breed question. Are there bad breeds? Are there good breeds? If it's true that breeds have been bred to do things like swim and retrieve and be nice with children, then how come one of those might bite? And if it's true that breeds have been bred to fight like pit bulls, well, how come some of them are mush buckets? And how do you make sense of all this, Dr. Jory? Well, I think I'd start off by saying there are what I wouldn't consider there's any breeds that are bad. I would say that, I mean, to go to our your original question, if all of the breeds originate from wolves, then why do they behave differently? Well, let's just start off by saying they're not wolves. They're dogs. And they've got ten thousands of years of selective breeding by us to create certain characteristics in certain, in certain breeds. And so they have functions. And we start to get into trouble when you take a dog who has been bred for a function and try to make it something else. All dogs have the ability the potential to respond in a, in a manner that's aversive or aggressive because they do things out of fear or they can do things out of really deeply seated genetic responses. For instance, dogs are all genetically programmed to reach the top of their pack because they're pack animals. And so a dog who achieves the top of the pack will defend its position in the only way, manner that it knows how. It doesn't have a discussion. It uses physical means to stay there. 
So when you ask me what kind of breeds do I find most challenging, well, the dogs who bite me the most, generally speaking, are often the smallest. Minpins and chihuahuas. Who oh, are- you mean in the clinic? Like when you when you walk into the exam room and oh, you, sure. you get the note, you know you're going to face a teeny tiny little dog. Sure. You know, maybe its name is uh, Thor and it's five pounds. That's worrisome for you. No, it's more like when their names are Gucci or Gucci. Fendi. And their feet have almost never touched the ground in the last six months. And they got more bling than you do. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Their nails are painted too, usually. Nails are painted. <laughs> Who knows what they have, jewelry they have on. And they're like, I don't want you to touch me, mister. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know the type. Okay. So, so <laughs> yeah. Whether it's whether those dogs, I mean, or you take working breeds who have been created for a reason. So for me, um, I find Australian cattle dogs are highly challenging because they're... Oh my goodness. Yes. I have one. I have a blue healer and I have always had one. And uh, they're they're pretty awful at the vet. I got to say they're pretty like drama queens. They don't like it. Well, but they've got all this genetics behind them to be highly intelligent, make decisions on their own at a distance, to be tenacious and prey catching. And prey catching can switch over to aggression very, very quickly because their drive is so strong, which is what makes them fabulous herders and fabulous protectors of that area. But it also makes them challenging when you want to turn them into something other than that. And when we were talking about why, why Goldens might be overrepresented in dog bites, well, they're also one of the most popular breeds out there. So it's kind of unfair in one respect because there's probably more Goldens than any other purebred dog out there. Mm-hmm. But when you have that, that yeah. many dogs, they're all capable of biting. That's why they have teeth. They're designed for that. And if they're treated inappropriately, raised inappropriately, you can take the predisposition of the golden and turn it around because at their fundamental level, they're still canines. And so it doesn't matter whether you've made them into the nicest, most placid breed, mm-hmm. uh, any dog can turn. Well, and I think with the golden, people take more chances. Oh, that's my nanny dog. And they leave the kids with the dog alone on a hot day when the kids maybe don't know dogs and aren't even known to the dog. And, you know, whereas they'd never do that with a Doberman. Like they they do these things that maybe they wouldn't otherwise. Or if I'm walking a group of dogs, like as a a dog walker, a person with many dogs, I really see the difference, how people react. They'll cross the street. If I've got a wolf cross or a Rottweiler, they'll like actually scrum around me if i've got a golden right and not every golden wants that so i can see on a hot day especially or if it has an ear infection and then the kid touches that ear and you know stuff can happen that way so i could see how how that would be a problem but i kind of want to sum it up for the person who wrote the email in that even though there is a little bit of wolf in every dog they are they are all capable of the kinds of things you see wolves do, the selective breeding for all these years has made a big difference. So the chances of a dog that's bred to have a soft mouth and hold a a dying duck without harming it and bring it back to you and deliver it to you, the chance of that dog attacking you or attacking other animals is a lot less than a wolf or a wild dog. It's just, it's a lot less. So, So breed does matter but it's not the only thing that matters. That's kind of what I'd say. And I hope that helps you, John in Philadelphia. I hope that helps helps you understand. It's about likelihood, right, Dr. Joy? Yeah, it's about likelihood and tendency. Right, okay. So I wanted to talk about Loki the cat, but before I talk about Loki the cat, which you listeners can look at, the picture's up for you. It's one of the patients at uh, Abbotsford Animal Clinic. Loki the cat reminded me of Baron, my first poodle. 
when I was very young, maybe seven years old, we were visiting an uncle's cottage up in Ontario, Lake Simcoe, and my parents decided I was finally old enough to go by myself fishing if I took the dog. So I took the dog and the worms and the bucket and the rod, and I went to the dock and the next door neighbor's dock, and I put my line in, and I was fishing for a while, and I caught something, tiny little sunfish, and I pulled it out. And as I pulled it out, I said, look, Baron, I caught a fish. And Baron bit that fish. The fish bounced off, went into the lake, and the hook went into Baron's mouth. And I had to walk home as a seven-year-old girl, not carrying the leash, carrying the fishing rod, which was now attached to my dog, knocking on the door of the cottage. My dad opens the door. He goes, catch of the day. Well, <laughs> we, we ended up having to find a vet on a long weekend in the country who would come in and take this fish hook out. Now, it didn't, it didn't take much to take the fish hook out, but I was so upset. I, I thought, I thought this was terrible. And it looks like I'm not the only one that this has happened to. You are Did not you? the only one. You are not. <laughs> Is this common? It's a relatively common occurrence, unfortunately. It's rare in cats, but according to mom, dad had just come back from camping and fishing and hooks were on the ground and Loki decided it smelt a lot like fish and buried that hook deep in his cheek, way in the inside of his mouth. And there was no way he was letting you touch that. So, but it's nothing that a little bit of anesthetic couldn't cure, relax him. The problem with these kind of hooks, they're barbed. And so there's only one direction you can really go, yeah. and that's forward. So you have to take it out. You get them out by pushing it through and then cutting them, and then you can remove them. It's just that to do that, nobody really likes that very much. So there's always a little bit of anesthesia involved, sometimes a little antibiotic, depending on how clean, maybe a little bit of pain meds for the day. But Generally, they all recover pretty quick. It's when you get them in the unfortunate locations like an eyelid or something else that's a little bit harsher to deal with. But with most dogs, it's usually their ears. They're standing too close and the kids are casting. And then the next thing you know, you've hooked your dog. Well, I know you have fond memories of Baron, but he was a troublemaker. He got skunked, I think, seven times in one winter. Like the dog, he 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 He's got forty-five wills in his muzzle. I mean, <laughs> he was so smart. Around here at Camp Good Dog, all my gates—I have double gates, so you know, obviously, nobody can ever, ever get out. But the gates all have carabinas on them, and that's because of the standard poodles. If you want to look, if you're listening right now and you want to look, you go on YouTube, go to Deborah Wolf. My dog training videos are on there, some of them. And one of them is called Dogs Gone Wild. And I actually captured footage of a whole bunch of dogs opening latches much faster than I can open them, much faster than any human can open them. Latches that look like no dog could open. Boop, boop, boop. Rottweiler, Schnauzer, and a whole bunch of poodles. So carabinas are essential around here because poodles, they're just a little bit smarter than everybody else. Okay, so I wanted to ask you, we had, I had to reject a customer, wanted to come bring their puppy here and um, had to send it back for a vet check and had to go through a whole bunch of things. And in the end, we're going to take the dog eventually, but we had to postpone its stay because it has puppy warts. Have you ever Viral seen this? Warts, yes. Oh my oh, God, yeah. awful. And now we have to wait. It's being treated and everything like that, but we have to wait till the last warts drop off before yep. it can come. This is just awful. So what should people be looking for when it comes to things like that, that they might not know about, that are really contagious to other pets, maybe to people? What should they know about? They're similar to the warts that children would get or people would get on their hands or feet. The canine warts don't transmit over to humans. 
and they are self-limiting. But but when I say that, like so, some dogs may have one or two, and you'll find them on their lip, but they can pretty much appear anywhere. And occasionally, it looks like they've been attacked by a million of them. Um, oh. So instead of getting one or two, you can get dozens and dozens, and they can be quite problematic, especially if they occur on eyelids. Odd, you mentioned that I just use my um, surgical laser to remove one from an uh, an eyelid that was getting really large because it was starting to impede the dog's ability to blink and was going to affect his uh, overall eyelid function. And our laser is actually really nice to remove it for that. But in a lot of these dogs, if they have one or two, it will resolve in, it can resolve in several months and they're gone, but they're, they are highly contagious while they're there. So one option is to go to your vet and have them removed surgically, and then they're no longer contagious provided they get them all. You know, when you talk about laser, I see this some places, you know, the the vet clinic with the glass window where they're advertising, you know, dental month or vaccine time or whatever. And they'll often, no pain laser. Is it really a big difference between a knife cut and a laser cut? I actually find the CO2 laser substantially better for recovery. But, I mean, it, it does a few things for me as a surgeon. It keeps my field really clean. Um, and so there are actually some surgeries we couldn't do without it. And so for working in the mouth, for working on certain organs like the liver, I find the laser is fantastic. And what I also find for recovery, I don't know that it necessarily heals faster, but I find my dogs and cats, birds are much more comfortable because it, it seals the nerve endings. You get a lot less swelling. And so I find they're less attracted to the incisions to bother them. So for me, I find it's a cleaner and surgical field. I find it's a more precise way of using a a cut because what I see is where I cut as opposed to having the skin slide a little bit around your scalpel blade. And I find for recovery, the animals seem to be much less interested in their incisions. So I love my CO2 laser. Oh, nice. Okay. No, I just didn't know if it was a gimmick. I mean, it's hard for me to know when, you know, because sometimes things are advertised and you kind of wonder. And so that's really good to know because I... I find that's a huge part of the problem is the aftercare. You know, you get these dogs or cats and they go home and they look great and they and then they pull out all their stitches because the person wouldn't leave the cone on. Like, oh, what, yeah. what? you know, and they make everybody. There's so many nice cones now. There's see-through ones. There's soft ones. There's blow-up ones. You don't have to have the big old ugly one. But if your dog is a real kind of yoga kind of dog where it can contort and twist and pull out its own stitches, two weeks of an ugly big cone is better than pulling out the stitches and having the procedure all over again. Oh, it happens, unfortunately, way more often than I would, would like to see. I mean, I have I like to say I have the easy job. I go in and do my work, and then the clients have the hard job of now they've got to get through the next two weeks of recovery. And so it seems like no matter how often we say it, uh, not too long ago, I had a bulldog where I had to do both upper and lower eyelids for a condition called entropion, which bulldogs are really prone Mm. to where those lids roll inwards. And it's a fairly involved in a bulldog and relatively expensive. And then I always sit down with them afterwards to go over home care. And I cannot stress enough to leave the cone on. And as it almost always happens, the Mr. and Mrs. in this particular case were out in the backyard and Mom had to go to the store and dad's going to watch the dog. Oh, yes, we'll leave the cone on. But it's a sunny day. The dog's snoring away. And he goes, well, you know, I could just take it off for a minute. And then as yes. Murphy's Law starts to take effect, the phone rings. And so off he goes inside. Right. And as he's speaking, he looks out and he sees his bulldog dragging his face across oh, the mud. Ugh. You know, he yells. And the dog looks up and where my four incisions were, they're now filled with dirt and grass. 
Yeah, of course they are. <laughs> and yeah. he, comes run, he comes running in and he goes, okay, here's what we have to do. The surgery has to be repeated and I have to be home in two hours and you cannot tell my wife. Oh, no. <laughs> I can't lie. If I'm not asked a direct question, I can avoid yeah. an answer. <laughs> And I can probably get it done in three hours. But where we're going from here, I don't know. Now, needless to say, of course she found out. Yeah. Of oh, course. yeah. Of course. But it happened. I mean, you're exactly right. What would have been just two weeks of aggravation becomes now four and six weeks. And it's never good the second time. Well, so no, because you've got less. I mean, if it's a small tear, if you've got a small tear, a small cut, something your dog or cat suffered and they sew it up. And then it rips open again. Now they got less to work with. A lot. It's going to be messy. So don't do that, right? Right. <laughs> I can, I feel sorry for you guys sometimes because it's like, what are they supposed to sew? There's nothing left here, well, you know? know? It happens. And, and I see that also. Okay. So I wanted to ask you, have you ever seen, I've heard of it. I've never seen it used. Sometimes dogs wear their pads thin. Yep. A person will have a dog that maybe they, they don't realize how hot the day is and they're walking them on scorching hot pavement or the dog's just had a cushy life and they don't realize and now they're walking on gravel or, or harsh grass because they changed where they live and the climate's different. And now the dog cuts its feet open. Maybe it's even ice sometimes. And the, the pads, those leather pads on the back of the feet, they're so hard to heal because of course they keep walking on it. Right. Yep. And you know, so I used to have to do all kinds of poultices and bandages and rubber boots but I saw online, they seem to have this pad now made of leather that you place on and then the, it grows. It, have you seen this? Does this I work? Seen, I haven't seen oh, that. There's, there's all kinds of interesting devices or tools that we can use, that people try to use on dogs' feet to protect them once they make an erosion. I mean, and they take a lot of it. They borrow a lot of it from human medicine. Like there's product called New Skin for Humans or Mole Skin, which are these soft, uh, sticky on the back. That's what um, it's like. like. It's like materials. that, and then your your the dog's skin is doesn't reject it. It's supposed to grow. No, these things I haven't seen anything that acts as a matrix for them to grow new skin on. I find oh. if it can be basically if it can be put on, wrapped on, painted on, tied on, rubbed on to try to speed these things to heal. I have tried it. At the mm -hmm. end of the day, a boot to allow yeah. protection. Leave it open in the evening to keep it so it dries up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Don't let them chew it and keep it clean. And it's going to take two to three weeks. There's nothing. Yeah. There's nothing else. That you're stuck with it, and that's just the way. Just just the way it's going to be. Okay. Well, I think we've run out of time, but we didn't talk about Yogi or Czar. So, do you want to say a quick word about them so people can know who they're looking at when they check you out? Czar presented with his face exceptionally swollen, all on one side. He couldn't chew. He couldn't eat. And unfortunately, what he had was a really nasty tooth root infection. Mm -hmm. And it was odd in him because he had almost no tartar and his uh, teeth looked fantastic. But it's just one of those cases where just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. It's sort of analogous to people who have these tiny little cracks in their teeth and are exquisitely painful and highly temperature sensitive. But even yeah. when you go to the dentist and they x-ray it, they really can't find it until they start really manipulating that tooth. So it was a bit of an investigation. We ended up having to take one of the larger teeth off the upper jaw, found the infection. And a couple weeks later, then he's back to his usual chewing the sofa self. Yeah, great. Okay, well, that's a good story. And how about Yogi? 
Actually, I'm don't rem- I don't remember Yogi's case. I'll have to get back to you when I see that the next okay, time. Okay, well, next time we're on air, we can talk about Yogi. If you want to see some of these animals and more wellness stories, you could go to Dr. Jory's clinic site, abbotsfordanimalhospital.com. And if you want to see some of the dogs who come to Camp Good Dog, we take pictures of them in videos and we post them every day on our Facebook site, Camp Good Dog on Facebook. And you'll just see dogs just running around and playing and swimming and just doing what dogs do when they're on a farm having a good time so dr jory this has been amazing i've been having a a really good good time time. oh i hope we'll do another show i want to talk to you about some things we don't agree on so far we've been agreeing on everything but i want to talk to you someday about microchipping and see see what so see what we make of that for people and and just you know maybe in the future you can come back and let me know how your clinic's doing and how things are in toronto would love to. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Jory. So everybody listening to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio, that was Dr. Jory, Dr. Jory Bognick from Abbotsford Animal Hospital in Toronto. And you've been listening to me, as usual, Deb Wolf from Camp Good Dog in Vancouver. We've got an all-Canadian show here. But as you know, your dogs, your cats, they know no borders. And uh, we're hoping that you enjoyed our show today. We're going to have Dr. Bognick back on in the future. So everybody... Until next time, be good to your animals. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.